Time Magazine uh, named its first person of the year in 1927. It was Charles Lindbergh. <clears throat> he had just flown the first time solo flight from New York to Paris. He was just 25 years old. Uh, P.I. Prentice was the publisher <clears throat> of Time at, the, at, at that time. And later on, he would say this, and I quote, the choice is in no way an accolade nor a Nobel Prize for doing good, nor is it a moral judgment. The two criteria are always these, who had the biggest rise in fame and who did the most to change the news for better or for worse? Who had the, the biggest rise in fame? It's kind of, I guess that's why Jesus would never be time's person of the year until December of 1999. I just find this fascinating, that for 72 years, you know, they would choose a person who had a big influence on that year. But when they came to the edge of a new millennium, so we're standing here in the year 1999, and you go, who's, and they, they had to think through, well, who's had the greatest impact? I mean, not for just 1999, but for a long time, they name Jesus Christ. Reynolds Price, an author, was asked to write uh, about Jesus's influence and his first two paragraphs say so much. I'll put it on the screen so you can see it. Quote, the memory of any stretch of years eventually resolves to a list of names. And one of the useful ways of recalling of recalling the past two millenniums is by listing people who acquired great power. Muhammad, Catherine the Great, Marx, Gandhi, Hitler, he named a few others. It would require much exotic calculation, however, to deny that the single most powerful figure, not merely in these two millenniums, but in all human history, has been Jesus of Nazareth. A serious argument can be made that no one else's life has proved remotely as powerful and enduring as that of Jesus, end quote. <clears throat> now, I think most of us, we read that here in the room and online, and, and we go, I believe that. That makes a ton of sense to me. But I... But I wonder if the truth of that is evident in your life and in mine. Now just track with me on this. If it's true about Jesus and he is alive today and lives in those who put their trust in him, then why isn't that true of you and me? I mean, maybe not like the most influential for millennia, but why wouldn't people say, you're one of the most influential people I've ever been around? And I know some of you might go, well, I mean, yeah, Billy Graham, you know, or, you know, pastors or missionaries, you know, special super saints, you know, maybe, yeah, that's kind of, no, no, no to the degree that that sentiment, you know, yeah, it's for, for others, but you know, not for little old me, to the degree that that sentiment is floating in your mind is to the degree that you are forfeiting the life 
that God intends for you as a Christ follower. If there's anything we believe as a church, and if you're visiting, you're a guest, you're kind of checking out fellowship, I'll tell you, you get really close to the center of us when you understand this. We believe that everyone who puts their trust in Christ is then commissioned by Christ to live the life he lived. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. And that Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells us to actually reproduce that very life. That's why Rob, last week, if you were here, he could speak in, in, in this way. He said, he was talking about, here's what, I, here's what I dream about for Fellowship Bible Church for us as a community of faith. He said, what if the word became flesh, i.e. Christ incarnate and Christ is incarnate in all who believe. What if the word became flesh in our community? What if each of us were captured by the reality that God has put each one of us individually and collectively in this place at this time that Jesus would be seen, would be bumped into, would be heard from by those who follow him. It's rooted in our mission and Will's already said it. I'm gonna put it on the screen so you have it. This is why we exist, this is what we do. Becoming a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. That's why Rob did that message last week, reviewing John, then just setting up our mission, why we're here. We wanna be so clear about this going into the new year. Y'all, it's why as we get back into John, you know, we're studying through the book of John, we, we hit a bit of a pause, we're still in John, but we wanted to say, let's take these first few weeks of January, 2023, and let's look at how John reinforces and is the very source of our mission as a community of faith. I, I really can't express to you how critical, how important these few weeks are that we're in right now as we're talking about mission and vision. In, in 10 years, in 2023, when, if, if, you're, if, I'm still, if we're still alive, if I'm here, you're here, and we're talking about what God has done and what God is doing in us and through us. In 2023, I assure you, we'll look, we'll look back on what you and I are talking about today and in these early days of January 2023. That's what's gonna shape us. And y'all, it goes by so fast, doesn't it? I mean, I, I laugh about this. You know, how many of you, you know, remember the year 2000 and Y2K? You know, don't tell me if you bought a heater and you stored food. You don't have to do that. That was 23 years ago. Less 10 years from now, we'll look back and go, well, you remember in January 2023 what we talked about? That's why these messages really do matter. My goal this morning, y'all, is pretty simple. I want to help us take the next step in what it means to follow Jesus. I, I wanna lay out what we're gonna be talking about for a decade in, in, in a way that when you say, well, okay, our mission is to follow Jesus. What exactly does that mean? You are gonna know in the next 25 minutes or so. 
following Jesus and helping others do the same, y'all, may I say this because Jesus says it. That's the abundant life. I mean, when we're really doing that, it is a life so saturated with the power, with the presence it, it, it's of Christ, it's so purposeful, it is so meaningful. I mean this, when we are, you go, what other life is there? It's the life we were made for. When you look at the life of Jesus, there are what, what we're calling four practices that he did, four things Jesus did. And therefore, if we're gonna follow him, we would do those four things. I'm gonna start where Rob left off. I'm gonna be moving pretty quick. Verses are gonna be popping up on the screen uh, to move us through this. You may not be able to turn in your Bible every time. We're gonna start where Rob left off. That's chapter five. I wanna start in verse 19. Go there. If you have your Bibles, go to chapter five, verse 19. Jesus is doubling down on his deity, that he is fully God, fully man. It says this in verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his, of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. You, you read that and you, you understand Jesus is talking present tense. What I see the father doing, I do. What I see the father, it's not like what I saw the father do back then, I'm gonna try. No, he's in, you get it? It's he sees the father and then he does what the father is doing. He's in constant contact, communion. You just think of the word relationship with the father. The question I want us to ponder, okay, is, when does he see the father? <laughs> like, how, how does he see the father doing that and then he does it? How is it that he hears the father and then he does what the father says? Well, when does that happen? Skip over to John chapter six, verse 15. Here they're trying to make him king far before his, the time. And they're making him an earthly king. He'll have none of it. And we get a hint here, okay? We get a bit of a clue. John writes, perceiving then that they were about to come and make take come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself. You know, one of the, the most important words in that sentence is again. So, so you go, wait, so he withdrew to be by himself in the mountains, but it says again. And yes, all the other gospel accounts record multiple times when Jesus withdrew by himself. The next question, what was he doing? Was it just a break, you know? Is it when you pull off by yourself, you know, you just want to watch a little TV, you want to just veg? What's Jesus doing when he pulled off by himself? Don't turn there, but I want to read this to you. Mark chapter one, verse 35, you'll see it on the screen. The whole town's knocking at Jesus' door. He want to get in. He's becoming so popular. And we read this in Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there... He prayed. What's Jesus doing when he pulled off by himself and he got alone in the mountain? He prayed. He communed with the Father. He spoke to, he listened to, he related with his Father. The first practice 
of one who's following Jesus. We state it this way, pretty simple, commune with God. That's it, it, commune with God. Now define it this way, constantly cultivate an ever deepening relationship with God. All those words matter constantly, it's continual. Cultivate, there is a, there's a cultivation in, that, in, a, in a relationship, an ever deepening relationship with God. Commune is a relational word. You know, we get communication with that. Here's the idea of enjoyment or delight. When you say, I'm gonna go commune with nature, it's not like you're going, I'm gonna go suffer in nature. No, 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 you, you, you wanna be there. This is a face-to-face -face encounter with God, not side-by-side -side nor back-to-back. All through the gospel, we're just gonna hit this over and over again, and we'll go deeper. I'm just skimming this to give you these four practices. Look at these verses up on the screen, 829. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. 855, but you have not, you've not known him. I know him. That's a word of intimacy. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you, speaking to the religious leaders. But I do know him and I keep his word, 10, 15. Just as the father knows me, I know the father. Y'all, when we get to chapter 17, it's months from now. That's a long way out there, but we'll get there. We're gonna be like a fly on the wall. And it's like we sit there and we hear Jesus talk to his father over an extended 26 verses. And, and what's gonna strike you when we get there is he talks to his father in a familial way loving, natural way. Like, like you talk to your father or your friend. The first practice, commune with God. Let me be clear. Yes, this part of this is what, you know, for, for centuries, you know, we've, we've known as devotion, you know, or you know, more recent, a quiet time. A time set aside in the day when yes, we're, we're communing with the Father, but don't know that it, that's part of it. But when we say commune with God, that's a lifestyle of communing with God. That's, that's communing with God all the time. Being aware, attuned to his voice. The first practice, commune with God. The second practice, I'm gonna give it to you, it's on the screen, hear and obey. God's word, that means hear and do all God says. Now, you'll, you'll, if you go, well, hear and obey, how's that different? Well, they're, they're connected. All of these are connected. You cannot hear and obey God's word apart from first communing with God. They are inseparable. And while God speaks in different ways, because you know there's a hearing before there's a doing, when I say God speaks in different ways, I, 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 I mean this, and I believe the Bible teaches this, and your experience would say this. It, it's not just that when you're reading the word, he's speaking. No, because if you're communing with God all day, then you wanna be aware of what he's showing you. How's the spirit impressing you? What's the spirit saying to you throughout the day in, in a variety of ways? And he will never say something to you that is inconsistent with or contradictory to what he's already said in his word. So you see the communion with God and time in his word, that puts you in a position throughout the rest of your day, right, to hear. You see something and, you, and, and 
you see something, you, God's, it's like, God, you put that there for me today, or God, you impressed this upon me. Or, you know what? I think God, you're inviting me to say something. Do you know what I'm saying? God speaks to you all day long, but you don't hear it, or I'm telling you, you'll get way off the railroad tracks if you've not first saturated your heart in his word. Now, I don't think I'm entirely wrong when I say this. When we, we look at this practice, hear and obey the word, that the problem for our time and day is not so much the hear. We generally are drowning in biblical knowledge. And I'm using that word purposefully, drowning. Because our knowledge outweighs our application. And, and what we understand from the scripture is this. When, we're, when we know the Bible, but we're not living the Bible, that is unhealthy. Medical studies over the years, and there have been many, but I've got this book called I've got a large book that's related to change and how people change and they were quoting a study that they did and they took, you know, they were talking about cardiac physicians speaking to patients and they found that if a heart doctor tells a seriously ill patient, look, you're going to die unless you change your lifestyle, diet, um, exercise, only one in seven change. Okay, death is not enough for you to change. You know, and I get it. A multiple studies say 40%, up to 40% of patients don't do what the doctor says. If you want to get well, if you'll do this, up to 40%. And I know the nurses and physician people in the room are going, I know. We have a hard time doing Back in August, we began a study through the Gospel of John, and don't turn there, but the, chapter 20, verse 31 gives the purpose, and we covered this. John says, let me tell you why I wrote this book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we said then, and we're gonna say all through our study of John's Gospel, believe in the Bible is inseparable from obey. You can't believe and not trust. Does that make, there's no belief apart from the doing. It's hear and do all that God says. Boy, you talk about verses you could hit on this. Look at the screen for a moment. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. You are my friends if you do what I command. It could not be more clear. Now, just to keep it, uh, don't, to not slip into some legalistic, pharisaic mode, uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. How many of you have trouble doing everything God says? I'll vote on this, literally. If your hand's not up, then you're ignoring me or you just, you're better than all of us. Right, so I'm saying that to say, wait, Lord, you're saying, if I, if I, don't, I love, if I don't do it, I don't love him. Okay, calm down, breathe, okay? We say we do it. We do not do any of these four practices and we most certainly do not obey God's word perfectly because only one person ever did. 
and he did it for us. See, Jesus obeyed God the Father perfectly and therefore he was the perfect sacrifice to die for our sins. Therefore, he rose from the grave for he had no sin of his own. Therefore, I'm trusting Jesus what you did for me for a right standing with the heavenly father. We don't do it perfectly. But once we have trusted Christ, may I say this, we, a, a, a follower of Jesus, will do it progressively. Progressively over time. It's, it's like teaching a child to walk. You don't, you don't get onto a toddler because they can't walk. No, they, they crawl, they stand, they walk, they, they run, they skip, they jump. You know, you, it's, it's a progression. First practice, if you're going to, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Lord, when you say we follow Jesus with a whole, what does it mean to follow? It means commune with God. It means hear and obey God's word. And then for the third practice, I'm just going to jump straight to one of the most significant passages we'll study in John Chapter 13, go to chapter 13, verse 35. Here Jesus gives the litmus test of a disciple. This is, the, and this is the litmus test. If you, if, it's like this, look, take this test because it'll tell me if you're following Jesus or not. <laughs> Either it comes up positive or negative. What's the test? Note he says, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love, it's the litmus test. He's at least saying this, when, when you and I say to a world that doesn't know Christ, which is why we are here and why we exist, the validity of our message, hey, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. Put your trust in Jesus. The validity of that message is tied not to what we're saying. Jesus says, it's gonna be tied to how you're loving. Do you love? The third practice is simply this, love each person. And, and we, Jesus does this. Here's how we define it. Seek the highest good of others. I mean, Lloyd, who are you talking about? Each person. Let me say this. I've said before that curiosity, curiosity is almost indistinguishable from love. And I say that because to, to seek the good of another, you really do have to, you have to know where that person is. I mean, what's going on in their heart and soul, right? We get in arguments and conflict, whatever, because I assume you're saying something and I commit, you know what I'm saying? But, but curiosity builds compassionate people. And we of all people, Christ followers, should be compassionate. For, for the, you know, Lisa and I have three kids, they're, they're grown, but we're always parents. So, you know, any parent, may I say this to you, one of the best things you can do is get curious about your kids, the little ones and the big ones. Can I tell you what your curiosity in your child's life feels like to them? What does it feel like? Love. You'll listen more and say less and they'll feel more love because you're loving them to be curious. It's so important to be curious about those we disagree with, who don't hold the same values we hold, who are out to harm us, but to be curious, to understand what's going on. You see that? I want you to look at the screen for a moment because I want to I do an exercise with you. This is Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Now I'm going to do this real quick, but I want you to see this because 
We know in the, in the apostles pick up this theme and we know that Paul's gonna say, look, you can move a mountain, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. There's no dodging this, it's love. And we covered this when we studied Philippians several years back, but I want you to see it in a different way. I want you to start at the end of the passage and work your way up. So let's start at the end of the passage, to the praise, to the glory and praise of God. Y'all, if anyone wants to know what, why you're on earth and what your purpose is, ultimately, that's it, to live to the glory and praise of God, to glorify God, that's why we exist. So we say, yes, I wanna live my life such that I glorify God. So then you gotta back up into the prayer and go, well, well, how do I end up there? How do I end up there? Notice what he says filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Oh yes, I, I wanna live my life such that I'm filled with the fruit of righteousness. And you see, when you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, do you know what your life becomes? It becomes a life that magnifies Jesus. You've lived to the glory. Okay, got that. Skip up one more. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Oh yes, I want... I want to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. For if I'm pure and blameless on the day of Christ, then that means I'm filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, which means I glorify God. Are you with me? Where does it all begin? Verse one, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Do you see that? That, that, that Paul ties the ultimate reason for life, God's glory. to how we love. That's why it matters. Look at the three so far. What, we're going, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus had these, these four practices, these things he did, and that's what we will do as we follow him. Commune with God, hear and obey God's word, and love each person. Gosh, there are a number of verses that'll hit this last one as well. But I've chosen one. I want you to turn to John 12, verse 24. John 12, verse 24. Let me unpack this just briefly. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, when we get here, we're going to notice that right at this juncture, like if, if the story's going like this, right at this juncture, the story goes, because right here, the shadow of the cross just starts falling all over. This is the beginning of the end, okay? And so we know at least these two things from this statement. When he says a grain of, uh, of wheat, unless it dies, please hear me on that. He's talking about himself. One grain, Jesus, unless it dies. This is talking about he's going to die. And we know that Jesus must die. If Jesus doesn't die, then there's been no payment for your sin nor mine. Second thing is his singular death. Note, he's very careful to say a grain, you know, a kernel, one little kernel of wheat, so to speak. His one death then produces what? Countless, it produces countless life. We can't put a number on it. 
this is an agrarian culture. Um, they certainly got what he's saying. And I think we, you know, we're not, not many farmers in the room, but I think we understand what he's saying. One, think of it, one, one, little, one little grain of wheat sits on a shelf, will be one grain of wheat next year. It'll be the one grain of wheat 10 years. It'll be one grain of wheat 1,000 years, okay? But if just one grain goes into the earth, absorbs water, loses itself, dies, it sprouts up. You know that one grain becomes 50 kernels of wheat on a stalk. And when those 50 go down and die, do you know they, drop, they, they, they rise up in plants and, and now they are now 2,500 grains. And do you know when those 2,500 grains drop into the ground, do you know when they rise up, it's now 125,000 grains. And do you know when the 125,000 grains drop into the ground, they rise up, do you know what they are? 6,250,000 grains. It's like, what? What just happened? I'll tell you what just happened. Multiplication. Exponentially. Which is why you and I are sitting here today. Because there were only... 11, so, so to speak, there's only, you know, 120 at Pentecost. But you and I are here 2,000 years later because they died. So this last principle, the fourth, is multiply your life. Well, what do you mean by that multiply? I mean live that others may know and follow Jesus. And at the core of that, it means dying to yourself. I'd been thinking about this for a number of weeks. I was on a trip last week with three dear friends and, you know, I, I asked them a question because I'm kind of looking for sermon material, you know, because I got, I got to, <laughs> so I'm asking them stuff. So I said, I said to them, we're in a truck and I said, you know, hey, what would you guys, what, if, if you could list four things that Jesus practiced, he did, and and, and that enabled him to fulfill his mission, what might they be? And man, I'm, I'm writing all this down, stuff down on my phone. Actually, I'm doing like this. I don't, I don't text like that, just so you know, I text like this on my phone, my kids do that. Um, and so I'm writing this down, and without hesitation, one of my friends, he's the oldest of, of, of the group, he's, he's in his early 80s, and he, and he just said, Lloyd? He said, Jesus invested in and prepared his disciples to carry on his mission when he was gone. I wrote that down. That's what it means that Jesus multiplied his life. That's what it means for you and I to live our lives in such a way that when we're gone, no, 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 we've, we've invested our life in such a way that there's seed that continues on. Living in such a way that others would come to trust Jesus and follow him. Look on the screen just briefly. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, you talk about following Jesus at fellowship. That's your mission. It means we commune with, it means one who's following is going to commune with God, constantly cultivate an ever-deepening relationship with God. It's gonna hear and obey God's word, hear and do all that God says. Gonna love each person. Gonna seek the highest good of others. You're gonna multiply your life. You're going to live that others may know and follow Jesus. Hear me, Fellowship Bible Church. For the next 10 years, 
That is what we are going to help each other do. <laughs> if you're going, but I, I, what does that mean? You know, the part about loving. That is what we are going to do over the next decade. Encourage, equip, and train each other to follow Jesus with our whole heart. Now, I'm going to do something a little different. Rob and I, I'm speaking for him when I say this. You know, when we teach, we always want you to know, look, I'm just like you. I've got to learn this. I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus in my flawed thoughts and body. I'm, I'm re I really am. No, don't put me on a pedestal. Don't put Rob on a pedestal. And so we're always trying to help you go, look, look here's how I do this. And, and when we do, it's not like, hey, do it like I do. Or, but I he and I both want at times, honestly, to just kind of go, can I just show you what it looks like in my life? Not to make much of us to go, but see if you can gather something from this, okay? I can't cover all four of those here. And we're gonna be doing it for, you know, for a long time. But I do wanna grab one, commune with God. And I said that involves, that, that, that includes just time with God, but it's a lifestyle. So it's not like, oh, I communed with God this morning. Now I'm busy about this. No, it's continual, but what, what does that look like? What does that look like in your life? May I offer you this? And by the way, what I'm gonna do is something I've been doing for at least 35 years. It's been different at different times in my life. I've added to this thing. Um, it's like a ritual or a liturgy for me that I do, and I, and I do this. I read something about John Stott one time, and he he, he did something like this. It made me go, gosh, I, I want to do that. And so I'm going to do what I do for you. To, and again, not to look at me, but I'm just to help. You know, there may be something that's helpful to you. When I wake up in the morning, before I, my feet literally touch the ground, I, I make, I've made this commitment to myself, but I, I like the early morning, it's dark, I turn off the alarm. And I say, either out loud or I just say it in my mind, thank you, Father, for another day to be loved by you. Because that's my posture, that I, it's a day that God loves me. I get, to, I get to experience that. And may I keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. I do that, I just do that. That's the way I want my day to start. And then um, when I'm driving to work or, um, or if I'm here and it's nice and I'll get out and walk, I, I got in the habit of walking when I kind of start my day, my devotional time. I got in the habit of walking. God is my witness because I get sleepy when I sit still in the morning. <laughs> and so I said, I just need to walk, you know, I can't. And I, and I like to pray when I'm driving and you're going to hear my prayer in a moment and you're going to, I like to see outdoors when I'm, when I'm praying. Now, I'm gonna sing to myself, so don't think I've gone off the rocker in a moment. It's just a part of my, the way, I, it's a part of my commune with God. So when I'm back out of my driveway, generally before I'm out of my neighborhood, this is what I'm doing. Praise God from whom. All blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, 
the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. O oh God, from the rising of that sun to its setting, may my lips praise your name. May I declare your worth above all. May I speak. May I speak of your glory. You, O oh God, created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You spoke the world into being by the power of your word all things visible and invisible, animate and inanimate, nothing is that you did not make and you are not over. In you, Lord Jesus, all things hold together. And when the kings and rulers of this world came against your anointed, they only did that which you predetermined to occur because you alone are sovereign. You alone reign and rule your creation for your purposes and your plans. It is by your steadfast love and covenant faithfulness, by your works of providence, that this planet orbits the sun and spins on its axis at just the right angle for life you caused that sun to rise in the east and to set in the west. And right now where I live, every day that sun is taking a higher and higher course little by little because you are changing the season from winter into spring. You turn the storm to the north, south, east, and west to accomplish what concerns you. You turn the hearts of kings like streams of water to do as you please. Who is like you, O God? There is none like you. May I rest more fully today in your steadfast love and covenant faithfulness to me and to my family and to my friends and to my foes and to my church and my community, my country and this world. Holy Spirit, fill me today over and over and over again that the choices I make and the counsel I give would reflect your will and your way. May my love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that I would approve that which is excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness to your glory and praise. Today, Lord, teach me your way that I would walk in it. Give me an undivided heart that I would fear your name. 
And from that point, the next words out of my mouth are, I pray for Lisa, Darden, Jordan, Susan, Sally. I start, I start with my family. And I've got other things I pray, as you would. But y'all, that's, that's how my day starts now. Now I say that, don't, I'm not saying copy me or do anything. I mean, that, that's what I've built for myself. I don't, you know, everyone's wired differently. That's why there's so many ways to do this. But for me, that pattern or that structure for me, you see, it puts me in a place where I really mean this. I, I, once I've got myself in that place, I'm on alert the rest of the day for God's voice, for the filling of the spirit, for counsel from him, for what I say. Do you see there's just this posture of dependence? It's that commune with God. You'll note mine, I've added things in there over the years, but mine's got a heavy emphasis. I said this to somebody. Mine's got kind of this heavy emphasis on the providence of God. You know why? Because I'm an Enneagram six and I'm fearful. Or I'm, I have six tendencies, I'm fearful. So mine's just rooted in his providence. I need to remind myself of that each day. I'm telling you, it, it, is so, it so helps me because when I read the news, I get scared. But when, I remind, when I'm reminded that it's God who turns the hearts of kings, are you kidding me? There's no earthly ruler bigger than God. But yours might have a different thread. Does that make sense? Whatever that may be. Let's stand together. We're gonna respond with a song this morning as we leave. And the song, it begins by, by asking us these questions. Were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to sing? Were the whole earth echoing his eminence? In other words, were, were creation able to articulate what's in it? You know, what would it say about all that God has done? Here's our question. What do those of us who say we follow Christ, who have been redeemed by his blood, what would come from our hearts? What would our tongues say? It says what our song calls us to. It would say, Christ be magnified. So when we talk about these practices over the next decade, hear, hear me. The practices aren't the most important thing. It's what they produce and where they take us to the ultimate thing guess what that would be? Jesus. And Jesus most fully glorified through those who follow him.